0: Section twenty-four of the Soul or Rational Psychology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Travis Bissell. Chapter fourteen, part six of the Soul or Rational Psychology by Emanuel Swedenborg, translated by Frank Sewell, eighteen thirty-seven to nineteen fifteen, and others. Section 24 Indignation, Anger, Fury, Zeal 252 In order to understand what anger is, and what is its nature as compared with other affections of the animus, we must institute a comparison with those affections which are purely natural and obvious to sight. For a certain likeness appears which we recognize from the mere statement. It is observed above that love is the very life of the mind and the animus for without love there would be neither mind nor animus in what followed it came also to be proved that the intelligence or the reason of the mind corresponds to light and that light clearness shade darkness and other terms applicable to light are applied to the intellect we have also observed Above that, ambition may be compared to heat, for love without ambition is as life without heat. But zeal is to be likened to a kind of fire, for ambition without zeal is like heat without fire. When the zeal or the fire of the superior mind passes over into the rational or inferior mind, then it is commonly called ardor or excandescentia but when it passes into the animus, and thence into the body, it becomes the corporeal and impurifier which is called anger, the flame itself being called fury. Hence, it appears that the beginning of ardor, of anger and of fury, is in the soul itself and the pure intellectory. In other words, that it is conceived and born in and from these, Thus, that in its proper source zeal, or the pure fire, is naturally mild, becoming active when truths, whether natural or spiritual, are to be guarded, but that it goes forth impure in its derivation. For when the mind grows warm, it defends, as if with a kind of zeal, its principles by the love of which it is carried away, as though by the love of so many truths, and it attacks the contrary, whence arises disputes and philosophical contests. However, that this ardour of the mind breaks forth into a certain fire or anger in the animus, and at length into flame, in which the whole system or bodily principle is enkindled, that is, into fury, is apparent from the effect itself, for it is manifest in the sensible heat and fire, inasmuch as the blood burns, the viscera are heated even to the marrow, the membranes and the extremities are inflamed, the respiration becomes harsh, the sound of the voice is hardened, as when the air is heated, the arteries swell as when the atmosphere is heated, both the internal and external senses are disturbed as though they were excited from their natural equilibrium into a turmoil of motions by some fire also the thicker coverings are brought together or the fermenting substances moved from their place Thus the heated bile which lay hidden away in its gallbladder is poured into the mass of blood by whose grains or hard particles the lighter and softer blood is excited as by external stimulants into a similar rage. Thus not even the least part is without its anger or heat. 253. Zeal, therefore, is a natural affection with which the superior mind or the soul and the pure intellectory are furnished, in order, it would appear, that the soul may guard its spiritual truths, and the intellectory its natural truths, and oppose the falsities themselves which are contrary to these truths, with increased heat or with fire. For when there is a falsity and a truth, or a good and an evil, and also to both of these a force of acting or a life, it is necessary that there be a zeal or heat even to the fire of act in order that the enemies be brought into assault this is the reason why zeal is attributed to spiritual essences and to deity himself who is described as actuated by wrath or anger as also why when any one is heated and angered he ascribes this to a certain legitimate zeal for the truth or for the defense of a just cause, there would be no such affection unless there were an enemy. Therefore, anger is the evident proof that in the spiritual and invisible world there is some evil which is to be combated. 254. But our rational mind, which regards its principles as so many truths, is also said to be kindled with a certain zeal still inasmuch as the very principles of our reason are rarely from truths therefore this zeal is also rarely a pure one the wrathful kindling thus originating is harsh and vehement like ignited carbon which is consumed by its own fire but whether the fire be pure or impure may be known from the love itself and from the particular affections and desires of the mind especially from ambition which is heat, and most immediately rouses this fire. Such, therefore, as is the love or the ambition, such is the zeal or kindling of the mind. 255. As soon, however, as this fire breaks forth from the rational mind into the animus, it is born as if from a sphere of immaterial into one of material ideas, and is called anger, for the animus is said to become angered, on which account its way inclines toward the body, which in accordance with the anger of the animus becomes warm, boils, bursts into flame, and rages, since the whole animus is transfused immediately into the body. 256. But indignation belongs only to the rational mind, and is the first degree of angry heat. There are, nevertheless, in indignation many elements which moderate, temper, and restrain it, lest it break out. For there is either fear, or some love, or shame, or sadness, which are so many reins and barriers to hold it in. Patience, gentleness, tranquility of mind, impatience. 257. From anger we may know what and of what quality is patience, and for where patience is, there anger is not. Insofar, indeed, as anger may be compared with a certain fire and flame, patience may be compared with a kind of cold. As anger with hardness, for indeed its elements as if brazen are hardened by fire, so patience with softness. As anger with the highest degree of activity, so patience with passivity, whence the name itself is derived. Therefore patience is a tranquil, serene state of the mind, as it were, free from the storms and commotion of the affections of the animus. 258. Patience also, like anger, is written in the body. Something mild and patient shines forth from the countenance, from the very sound of the speech, and so far as it appertains to the mind, from the discourse also. The face is serene, smiling, even while others burn. The blood is softer, healthier, warm but not burning full of vital heat but not concreted into fibres the pulse is lighter and more constant the bile is not dark but more yellow in colour the arteries more yielding the fibres tender the organs more vigorous and ready to obey the dictates of the mind and in all parts there is manifest a pleasing grace if not beauty in a word each particular part of the body is patient for as is the mind and the animus, such is the state of the most particular parts of the whole body, since the latter conforms to the image and nature of its soul. If otherwise, it is a sign that the mind is injured from some cause. 259. Patience, so far as it is the tranquil and serene state of the mind, free from disturbance by the affections of the animus, is itself the most perfect state the mind is, in this state, left to itself, has time for its own operations, regards its reasons more interiorly, and forms its judgments more sincerely, and out of these it selects the truer, the better, and more fitting, and remits them into its will, which then is not possessed with the tumult of natural desires. Thus, enjoying an almost perfect liberty, it holds the animus subject to itself as if in chains nor does it permit it to wander beyond the limits of its own choice thus also it commands the actions of its body and more purely and intelligently receives and contemplates its sensations when the mind is thus left to itself and neither corporeal or mundane things nor the heat thence arising disturbs its ease, then it enjoys the inmost fellowship with its pure intellectory or the soul, and suffers natural and spiritual truths to flow in. For it is only the corporeal affections and desires of the animus which obscure and pervert the intellectual ideas of the mind. Hence it is that the mind, in its state of patience or tranquility, is cold in its constitution as compared with the heats of the animus and thence of the body but very full of love or of the more pure and perfect life for that there be any mind it must be warmed with a certain love but the pure this is the pure is the mind because the better is the life from this state the mind regards the lower loves and those purely corporeal as infantile sports or as insane and the more so as they are believed to be wise thus witnessing these it does not become heated and angered but it pities condoles pardons tries to amend rejoices in its success bears its injuries as a mother those inflicted by her child for it embraces all in its love while it hates vices Patience, therefore, may well exist without anger, but it is not without its zeal by which it defends, although with moderation its truths. The mind is never disturbed by such a fire, still less extinguished, but is refreshed, for this agrees with its nature. For the rational mind, the more it is liberated from impure fires, the more it burns with the pure fire, which is mild and does not rage, but restores its state. 260. Such patience, which is the moderator of the passions of the animus, is rarely inborn, for everyone has an inclination to certain affections of the mind, but with age and with the judgment it grows, and especially is it perfected by its own exercise. But that which is genuine does not exist without the truths of religion and the principles of piety, nor without violence done to the natures of the animus and the body misfortune even and sickness which repress the fervour of the blood and the spirits are also frequently the causes of this patience 261 the character of impatience may be inferred from this description of patience for it is of the rational mind which desires ends while the end is hindered or obstructed by intervening obstacles or by the ideas of impossibilities which are so many resistances, lest the will should break forth into acts. Hence the animus which desires is tortured, and the body is distressed, and the mind regards single moments as long delays. Thus the more ardent is the animus, the greater is the impatience. The more tranquil the mind, the less it is. Least of all is the impatience of those who commit their fortunes to the divine providence. Shame, 262 in shame both the internal and the external sensory as also the single fibres and single arteries contract themselves since whatever is the state of the sensory such is that of the fibres and consequently of the arteries thus the spirit is expelled by the nervous fibres into the motor fibres of the arteries and the blood from the larger arteries into the capillaries, whence arises a redness and inflammation of the face, dropping of the eyes, a hiding, a stupor of the sensations, cessation of breathing, and of the determinations of the will or inaction. For the sensory itself, being compressed, does not dare, as it were, to lift itself, but withdraws into itself, so that the mind may hide itself, not only from others, but from itself since it is the shame of self so far as the mind itself is conscious of anything indecorous, dishonest, or criminal. Therefore, when no one except the mind itself is aware it is rarely ashamed, unless with regard to the fact that some other may know the cause of shame. Accordingly, without committing any crime even, the mind may be suffused with shame reflecting on the possibilities of its happening, or on something noticed which it alone knows shame belongs to the brave and to the timid alike in the brave the face blushes in the timid it turns pale for the fear of some injury or loss ensues shame also lets down the muscles of the face so that they are without any determining force like that of the pendulum 263 there is this other difference between fear and shame that fear causes the internal and external sensories to fall lifeless and insensible of themselves but that shame of its own will and by a native force contracts its sensory and takes away its faculty of changing its state wherefore in that moment before it recollects itself all determination of will ceases and there follows an oblivion or forgetfulness of particular things 264 Shame increases according to the sincerity of the mind and its love of what is honorable, for then it fears to sin against the rules of honor or against the rules of the decorous, which it believes is the honorable, since there are those who do not well distinguish the decorous from the honorable, and therefore are affected with the shame of both but inasmuch as the honorable declares itself through the decorous, since the decorous is the external of the honorable, therefore we are careful to observe the laws of both. Shame is greater in the presence of superiors than of equals, and there is none in the presence of inferiors except the mind be a greater lover of the honorable. Shame is greater also in the presence of those we love and venerate, but when the love is mutual, and in place of veneration pure love succeeds, there is, as it were, another self. The shame, then, is none other than one feels of one's self alone. That is a sublime mind which feels shame even in no one's presence, a proof that it is led by veneration toward the truth, toward honesty, toward justice, and the other virtues, and regards these as being themselves, its own superiors two sixty five there is little or no shame in those who scorn and are adverse to virtue itself and who esteem no one as their superior as also in the stupid and dull of intellect. Wherefore the lowest of men, without conscience, without love of honour, are those who feel no shame, who are possessed of a most criminal intent and and who, in the presence of crimes which they are conscious of having committed, or of being about to commit, stand with open and lifted eyes, or as exhibiting no spark of the higher mind within. 2.66. But inasmuch as principles regarding the honorable and decorous are somewhat various, the sense of shame also varies somewhat, one person not being affected with the feeling of another, thus these senses of shame take their turn we are also affected even with the shame of those with whom we have had no acquaintance which comes from its being reflected from them upon ourselves and thus from a certain friendly relationship which we sustain with all of our race envy two sixty seven envy is hatred mingled with anger but the anger lies concealed like fire under the ashes wherefore it is an inmost consuming heat which when it breaks forth causes insanity hence the blood is suffused and heavy with bile thick full of flecks of obscure colour stagnant in the least pores whence comes the blueness in the face this same fire also consumes and scorches and this causes leanness the gall-bladder is crowded with the black bile because of its continually spouting forth anew and this is mingled with the blood there is also a darkness in the countenance hatred mingled with anger gleams from the eyes where there is no light of joy and even in the voice and speech something harsh is perceived the animus is always obscure and the mind sad it is rarely lightened and exhilarated for it perceives nothing of the sweetness of harmony the very state of the mind is a discord wherefore it loves disharmony as harmony thence the very misfortune poverty and miseries of others are what soothe and gratify it nor does it rejoice in its own good fortune or happiness unless there lies hidden even in this something of revenge two sixty eight particular envy is common to all and most natural for it is found even in little children and in brood animals and their young. For example, we envy in another that which we ourselves love, as a lover the bride, and a competitor the honor of his rival. So in other things, the envy never extending beyond the limit of that which we love and desire. But a general envy arises from the supreme love of self, it envies all people, all things, and each one particular thing. It imagines the universe its own and for itself, and itself as the whole and not a part. It envies others their heaven, the devil envies even deity his power. Thus at heart it is the enemy of all. But he who is not a lover of self, but generous, is not envious. From the description of hatred and anger, if these are compared, still further particulars may be derived concerning envy. Section 269 is missing from the text. End of Section 24